Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we have a very special guest and friend, a buddy of mine, Liam Martin. Liam is co-founder and CMO of Staff.com and TimeDoctor.com, a time analytics application that can tell you how efficiently you and your team are working. I first met Liam when we were both speaking at a South by Southwest conference in Vegas. A mutual friend and past guest on our show, Stephanie Burns, introduced us since we were both Canadians doing business in America. It took less than five seconds to pick up on how sharp Liam was. I knew I liked him right away, and I enjoyed our conversations, plus running into him over and over and over again at different conferences and places as time went on. A few months back, I went to visit him in Ottawa, and he gave me a tour of his office and a tour of the software as a service community growing in Ottawa. Many companies you may know of, including Shopify, are turning Ottawa into the main tech hub of Canada. I've known Liam for a few years now and watched his business grow. He's always on the cutting edge and working on next generation type stuff. From spending a quarter of a million on hiring staff to extensive R&D into the latest AI developments to even where in the world you can find the best developers for your software company, Liam is always full of surprises and a guy who is really in the trenches doing the work, not just talking about it. So I've asked him to join us here today to share with his, his story, plus what he can about growing a software company, hiring, training, and managing staff for clear accountability and increased revenues. Liam, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. I appreciate your time. I know there's a lot of other things you could be doing. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Daryl. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. We were just catching up before I hit record. So Liam uh, part-time lives in the Philippines, and that's where I am right now. So we're just kind of mm-hmm. talking about our the, the beloved ant-sized ants and some other nuances <laughs> to the country. Um, so, but Liam, you know, I've known your story for the last few years, and we spent time together, but I actually don't even know how you first got started. Like, do you come from an entrepreneurial family? Did you have a business as a kid? Like, how did, where did you get the bug to own your own business from? Uh, well, so I think that comes primarily from my father. Um, I don't know whether or not you, the rest of your listeners would know about this, but you probably do since you're Canadian. Do you know the Beaver Tales franchise? Yeah, I love Beaver Tales. Beaver Tales. So my father, um, he was definitely an entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial person at heart, <clears throat> and he had started a company that was selling deep fried bananas. So you'd take a banana, you'd put it in some batter, and then you'd fry it and you'd sell it on the street. 
So he had, he bought a deep fryer, he brought all this equipment, and he set up um, his little business. And things were going okay, but they weren't going great. And uh, he was in it for about six months, and then this guy approached him saying, hey, you know what, I have this great idea, I'd like to um, build a company that sells these like fried pastries that my grandmother um, invented, and they're called beaver tails. Huh. Why don't I would like to be able to continue on with this? Like I'd like to be able to build it, but I don't have access to all of the equipment. And to buy all the equipment, it would cost me ten thousand dollars, or twenty thousand dollars, whatever the number was. So why don't I just partner with you? We'll be fifty-fifty partners. You provide the equipment, and I provide the recipe and the labor. You know, the work for the 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 sweat equity, and together we'll be 50-50 partners and build the business. And my father said no. He said, no, I'm going to sell it to you. He sold the equipment to the Beaver Tails guy, and now I think Beaver Tails has like 350 different locations <laughs> across the planet. It's a very successful, yeah. you know, easily nine-figure <laughs> brand. Um, so that was that was an interesting, um, interesting sort of early entrepreneurial background for me, um, for, you know, connected to my father, but I really got into entrepreneurship, uh, probably throughout, throughout high school and university. I actually had a sporting goods company throughout university that was selling, um, uh, sporting goods for ice skaters. And that went quite well. I actually ended up selling it to go to grad school. And I think the primary reason why I sold it was because most of my family said I should go the academic route as opposed to the business route. Um, recognized throughout grad school that that's not what I wanted to do. So I actually mm. dropped out of grad school mm. and went to and got back into entrepreneurship almost instantly after that. I was teaching at McGill University and um, as a as a sessional, uh, which is like most most uh, top end universities the graduate students teach the first year classes because they don't want the professors to waste their time on on first year classes. So I was teaching this class and I was making $2,600 per semester. And I think it worked out to about $4 an hour. It was absolutely horrible work. And I also recognized <clears throat> that I wasn't very good at it because we started with 350 <laughs> students and ended up with I think by the end of the year, I think I had 200 left. So 150 <laughs> students had quit the course throughout the semester. So I approached my supervisor at the time and, um, you know, the course had just finished and I, I came in and I said, I don't think I'm very good at this. And he said, no, you're not very good at this. And I said, uh, well, what do you think I should do? And he said, well, your whole point, you want to teach, right? Like you want to become... A professor, uh, you're going to have to teach classes all the time if you want to be a professor. It's kind of a package deal. And if you don't like doing that, then you should reevaluate that. So um, I basically said, okay, like, what should I do? And he said, well, you know, we can give you a master's. Can you write 200 pages on anything? And I said, sure. And about three weeks later, I wrote 200 pages, one of the worst master's dissertations probably of all time uh threw it under his under his desk and uh you know got an a minus and was off to the races and and now was out uh and that also happened to be right when the economy absolutely collapsed which was 2008 so that was a horrible situation but i i actually ended up right off of that job 
starting an online tutoring company because I really did not like being a lecturer, but I really liked teaching people. So I recognized that I could just be a lot more efficient if I started doing it online. So I did it just the way that we're doing it right now. I did it on Skype <clears throat> and um, I was able to tutor about a dozen students and I was being paid, uh, I believe it was like $60 an hour to be able to tutor these students and it became a full-time job. Then I hired my friend and then I hired a couple more friends and their friends and over two and a half years, it ended up being about 200 tutors throughout North America and Europe. Uh, ended up selling that company and off of that went into consulting and started consulting on managing remote teams. Um, and one of the major reasons why I sold the company at 200 Tutors was because I had a particular pain point. And the pain point was I had these tutors mm -hmm. that would be working with a client for 10 hours, mm -hmm. and the student, and then the student would come to me and I'd build the student for 10 hours and the student would come to me and say, "You, I didn't work 10 hours with my tutor, I only worked five hours. <clears throat> so then I would go to the tutor and I would say, uh, did you work 10 hours with this kid? And they'd say, of course I did. Of course I, I worked 10 hours with this kid. So what I end up having to do is I would refund the student for five hours and I would pay the tutor for the full five hours and I would end up losing money on the deal. And that was destroying the business. So I needed a way to be able to very clearly quantify exactly how much time was being spent on work throughout my remote team of 200 tutors. Right, right. Um, so off of that, basically, me and my co-founder, Rob, we founded a company called Time Doctor. So Time Doctor is basically a tool to be able to measure how much, number one, how much work you're doing throughout your workday, but secondarily, how productive you are throughout your workday. Mm. Uh, and that basically is still one that we're running right now, along with staff.com, and uh, you know, things are... Things are going great. That's basically me up until now in terms of entrepreneurship. Which is awesome. And I love Time Doctor. I just recently switched. And it's funny. This part of what led to this interview was I had a pain point. I've been working with remote teams forever. And I was working with, uh, uh, I guess, a competitor, Upwork, because just there used to be Odesk. It was, at the time, it was a marketplace and a time tracker. And I just loved it because, like you mentioned, I had a pain point where I'd be, you know, hey, I'm paying you per hour. And they would, you know, they'd, they'd bill me for 80 hours. And I'd be like, I just paid you for 80 hours, but I feel like I only got five, 10 hours of results. Like there's such mm -hmm. a huge gap. So that's what drew me to them originally. And anyways, wanted to get off that platform and we found Time Doctor. And uh, anyway, so we jumped in and I loved it right away. I, I referred three friends and then uh, you and I were talking, already to set up the interview. And then... Um, Nor got your bio and was like, hey, did you know Liam owns Time Doctor? I'm like, no, he doesn't. He owns staff.com. And she's like, look at his bio. And so right. it, was just, it was hilarious. I love it. If anyone here is listening and works with remote teams, I've been using it for about two weeks. And I'm, I'm referring people left, right, and center because I love the clarity, especially being able to integrate. I mean, this interview isn't necessarily to pitch Time Doctor. But if anyone here is working with remote teams and can emphasize or empathize with the pain point that Liam and I are talking about right here, uh, Time Doctor really is designed to help eliminate that and it does it beautifully it's very simple it's very elegant has a mobile app that tracks hours on your phone as well uh it's yeah i love it so that's that's awesome how did you get involved with staff.com where does that come into the picture well uh so when we started building time doctor i actually had a 
we were we were getting a lot of interest in Time Doctor, primarily because a lot of the competitors that you had mentioned, <clears throat> or you had mentioned one of them, um, and, and we wouldn't, really wouldn't consider them a competitor, to be honest with you, at that point. What we basically offered was time tracking, and basically, uh, Time Doctor offers, uh, we measure four verticals, um, websites, applications, mouse movements, and keyboard movements. And from that, you're actually able to really get a great idea of how productive someone, basically where someone is putting their time. Um, those other platforms, which uh, you know I'm not going to name, they're they're fantastic platforms, but they are um, they they they're do not measure those extra variables, yeah. right? Yeah. And some of the major reasons why they don't measure those extra variables is because it's not within their particular business model mm -hmm. to be able to measure those extra variables, because then you might become very frustrated at the like you could spend team. eight hours. Right, you could spend eight hours working on something, but you only got two hours of real work done. Yeah. Right, yeah. like that, that's an example. So yeah. for us in our company, we have 60-ish people around throughout 22 countries. I don't care whether our, the mission statement of the company is to enable people to work wherever they want, whenever they want. So we don't care how, we actually don't care how long you work. We just care that you get the work done, but we're focused on how efficiently you're going to be able to get that work done. If you can get it done more efficiently, we're actually going to pay you more. Mm, <laughs> That's mm, the way our business model works. Mm. Um, so top people in our company get paid more than I do, as an example. Um, and, and, and some people came from almost nothing to absolutely amazing rock stars, and you just recognize that and you pay them more. Um, but so from that, th those basically those measurements were very interesting to other companies. And so we got a few offers um, to partner and then also acquisition offers from those companies. And with staff.com, we went in and we said, this was primarily my co-founder. He said, you know, we don't really think that this gig economy is going to work out. And the gig economy is the concept that like everyone now is just doing small gigs and not doing long-term work. So mm. the 60 people that have been in our company, about some of them have been with us for more than 10 years in different companies, you know, like the beforehand. So me and Rob both right. combined our companies afterwards um, in terms of the head count. And so those people are not, they work remotely, they work in a different country, they're contractors, uh, they work their own hours, they have their own equipment, but they've been working with us for years and years and years, and they will continue to work with us for years. So what does that, that's not a gig, right? That's somebody who it's like, it, it, it's employment. Now, I mean, I don't want to define empl employment as a legal term. Um, <laughs> they are definitely a contractor from a, from a legal perspective, Correct. but they are a long-term worker. Uh, let's let's say that. So they're not doing a gig. And this was something that we recognized that we really liked. And, and it sounds to me, based off of the chats that I've had with you, Daryl, you have a lot of people in the company that are not just put together, uh, putting together a little project here and there for you, but you have a core team of people that work with you Correct. on a daily basis. Right. Right. Core team of contractors for tax purposes. Correct. So those are not people who you would necessarily hire on um, two-sided marketplaces because, number one, the fees are really high. Uh, they're anywhere from 10 to 30 percent on average. Um, and the employee would not be very happy with those types of percentages. So all of a sudden, you know, I know for me, I would not want 30 percent of my paycheck taken away. 
um, right. every two weeks. Right. So right. we decided to put together a platform to basically compete against that, which was long-term remote hiring. And that company ran for um, about two years, and it actually resulted in not a massive amount of failure, but I would say now that we're looking at it, <clears throat> basically staff.com now is another version of Time Doctor specifically designed for the enterprise space. So I think the majority of your listeners right now would probably want to check out, uh, sorry, staff.com is for, is for the enterprise space. The majority of your listeners probably want to listen, want to check out Time Doctor. It's really the SMB product. Like if you have a, under 100 employees, that's the product that you would want to use. Staff.com is more for enterprise companies that have like 10,000 employees and above. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the graphic that we're now targeting them. So we, we recognized with staff.com, it was a two-sided marketplace for long-term employees. The fees were ridiculously low. They were actually just a, um, they were a membership fee. So you'd basically pay, you know, like $50, $100 a month plus $10 per employee to be able to belong to the platform. And for that price, we were going to be able to handle all your payroll, all your um, all your tracking technology, because Time Doctor would be integrated into it. And we did quite well. Um, within a year, we were up to about 86,000 uh, monthly recurring revenue, MRR. I'll use a lot of that terminology throughout the rest of the chat. And then um, by next year, we were only about 20,000 ahead at that point. And the reason why is we didn't recognize a core fundamental problem inside of the business model, which was churn. So there was a significant amount of churn, and for anybody that's interested in SaaS, uh, that is the that is the most important number for any company that's doing more than fifty thousand a month. Um, by far the most important number. Like, forget about generating new customers. Forget about generating new revenue. Churn is the most important thing that you need to pay attention to, right. and it really is the number that tells you whether or not people like your software, right? Mm-hmm. So like if, if people, you know, if you, ha- I would say right now, if you have a churn rate of above 5% per month in a SaaS play, you're never going to do more than a million dollars a year. Right, because you're, you're going to be too busy trying to replace all the customers you're losing. Correct. Month so over month. Staff.com had a churn rate of 11%. Whoa. And we didn't recognize that. So that meant, that our average lifetime of a customer was eight and a half months, um, which basically meant that we had to more than replace our entire customer base every year. So we, you know, it's like, great, we built a million dollar business. That's fantastic. It will never get to 10 million. It's it's going to require such an amount of extra capital to be able to get there and effort that is just unrecognizable. And you know, I could talk about two-sided marketplaces for a long time because I find, I find it such an interesting subject. The only ones that are successful are two-sided marketplaces in which you do not need, in which the, the, the person that's doing the labor, right, the employee, you've got, you're the employer, the other side of the market is the employee. If the employee changes every single transaction, you will be successful. If the employee does not change on every single transaction, it's a disaster. So I'll give you an example. Platforms like Upwork, Odesk, Elance, Freelancer, they kind of go in between because they've got a little gig economy, but then they also, most of their money comes from long-term workers. Well, long-term workers are not interested in handing over 20% of their paycheck to 
employers. Then you look at something like Uber, okay, and Uber is ridiculously successful. I never use the same Uber driver twice. I'm never like, oh, I need Daryl. I need I need my Daryl driver. Why isn't he right, around? Right. Because I don't. I I am interested in a transaction of just being able to get from A to B. Right. I'm not. There's no loyalty built into that system. Um, so that's why you know, anybody who's starting a two-sided marketplace. If I see that it's a recurring customer that comes back, you know, time and time again, I don't invest. Uh, and the reason being is because it's too hard of a nut to crack. Right. Um, a company that had just closed do- closed its doors and it was massive was um, oh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it is a y- it's a Y Combinator company that it was a it was a company that came in and cleaned your house. Um, oh, so like it was Molly big- made or something like that. It was like Molly made, but it was virtual, right? So you just had a very simple sign-up page, and then someone would come and clean your house. Well, they ended up, they did very well. You know, they, they raised a lot of money. I think they raised like 100 million bucks or something like that. Um, and they were up to, a, you know, they were up to a big clip, and then they had to completely shut their doors. And one of the main reasons is poaching, is churn. Why should I pay this company 25% as an example of this transaction when this woman has already, or man, has already cleaned up my house eight times. Right, why don't right, right, right. Say, oh, well, why don't you just come here and clean up my house every week? I'm gonna, and, and I'll pay you more than you know the other guy is paying. Um, so that's why it's, it's so, we, we basically recognized, it, it cost a lot of money to recognize that that was a, that was a big lesson that we learned. Um, so you can have the best perception and, and I think a lot of this connects to, um, FOMO in Silicon Valley, fear of missing out, which is everyone kind of jumps on the train of revenue and does not look at profitability. So these companies can become very, they, they can generate a lot of revenue very quickly, but they're very hard to get profitable. And I think that that's the problem that we're seeing right now is the lack of scale. Um, because to, to, you can scale, but it's scale, you scale at a loss and, and we just, we're not in the business of scaling at loss. Uh, we wanted to scale and make profit. So we got out of there pretty quick, but I see other companies. Um, there's a good friend of mine right now that's just about to close, close his doors. And, um, he raised 15 million Okay. For, for a marketplace play and it's it's not going to be working out for them so um they they, they are happening left right and center so that's yeah 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 yeah. and again it's it's kind of the long like a lot of people i think like you're saying they're trying to they're trying to go too big too fast and like you said they're not focused on the long-term play of profitability so now a couple of questions that come up with this first of all i think there's a great lesson in that and i really hope the the listeners were thinking of that that because i know a lot of people they complain they want a bigger business so they want to hit the seven figure mark really fast but it's you know the name of the game it's not how much you make it's how much you keep right and i think a lot of people oh, yeah. forget that because you know they like sure you've got a million dollars in transactions you're touching a million dollars but i know guys like you just mentioned i mean that are doing a million plus but they're going home broke, you know what I mean, at the end of the day. Yep. So a couple of questions that came out of that. One, I'm sure some people were like, wait, he, they raised $100 million. They raised. First of all, can you speak to raising money just briefly? Because I, I know you do it. I don't know. Stephanie's uh, just well, like, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so raising money is is pretty pretty sticky. Uh, I, I personally would try to stay away from it if at all possible. 
Um, but basically raising money is you talk, to, you talk to a whole bunch of people called venture capitalists. And venture capitalists are <clears throat> people that have a lot of money, um, come from people called LPs, which are limited partners. So let's just call them really rich people that have $20 million. And so five guys with $20 million, they all get together and they say, hey, you know what? Let's put $100 million into a fund and then let's invest in primarily tech companies, but it can be any type of company to be able to get, uh, to, to be able to invest in these companies and then own part of that business. So unlike a bank where you go and take a loan, venture capitalists will actually buy a piece of your company. And so it happens in various rounds. There's a seed round, uh, which is usually about 10%. And then there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G rounds. Uh, if you're in your G, it's, it's you're, you're in trouble. Um, but they usually take about a third of the, um, the equity on the table. So, and that can vary. That's not, you know, that's not a, a rule, a hard and fast rule, but that's generally how it works. So you go out, you talk to these guys and you show them their business, you show them your business model, you show them their metrics, and then they will invest in you. And, um, it's very exciting. If you want to grow a really big company, uh, you just mentioned Shopify. Shopify is an example of somebody who raised venture capital money and and begrudgingly. Uh, I know that Toby was against raising money um, at the beginning, and, but it worked out beautifully for them. You know, I think they're at like I think they're doing a quarter of a billion dollars right now, and they'll probably be doing half a billion by next year. That's awesome. So they're doing very very well. And I know of other companies that have raised a bunch of money and. They'll do, they'll they'll absolutely fall flat on their face, and probably they would have fallen flat on their face had they raised money or not. Uh, and then there's the third category, which is actually the worst category. Uh, and and I think that there's this isn't spoken a lot about, and it's really important for um, entrepreneurs to understand this. I'm talking about companies that are growing, let's say between 25 and 75% per year. And they've got, let's say, $5 million in the bank. And they're growing between 25 and 75% per year. Um, or sorry, they're doing $5 million in revenue. These guys are right on the, the cusp of venture capital. And there are a lot of venture capital companies that will come in and will try to give you money. And you need to fight that desire constantly. The reason being is it is, not it is not a good economic decision for the founders of the company to take that, that equity off the table because if they do, they will, not, they will not see that money returned to them. The only reason why you should raise venture capital is because it is going to 10x your business. So if you put $5 million into the business, um, most VCs will tell you this. Let's say, let's say I'm going to do a Series A of $5 million, and let's say I'm doing $2 million a year. Uh, your goal within 18 months should be to be at uh, $10 million. And if you're not at $10 million, you will not get a Series B. You'll be like what they call a zombie company because you won't have, you won't have the capital to be able to keep going. Um, and, or maybe even worse, you will have the capital to keep going and no one will buy you. So you'll just kind of like very sheepishly roll along, but half of the money or half of the equity in the company is now off the table. And you can't actually, when you sell the company, you will not make the returns that you wanted. Right. Um, 
it's really a, like I see this happening. I have a friend of mine uh, that sold his company for $55 million. He's the CEO of the company. And after taxes and everything else, he made about half a million bucks. Wow. Wow. So, like, he was making more as the CEO of the company than he did selling than it. he did as the buyout. Wow. Um, because he doesn't own equity, right? Like that that's hurts. something you just really need to pay attention to it. And he told me, he said, like, I could have done it on my own. And yeah, I wouldn't have sold for 55 million, but I would have definitely sold for 20 and I would have taken all of that 20. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. Think about that. Right. Like it, it's, it's, it's actually, and that's 10 years of his life that yep. he invested into it. Yep. Yeah. So so important for entrepreneurs to pay attention to that venture capital is something that sounds very exciting but in reality could be a huge disaster if you do not maybe a disaster is a strong word but your your ability you have to see what's founder friendly what's company friendly and then what are what's good for the employees so those are the three major sort of pillars that i always look at what's good for me and rob my co-founder uh what's good for the company and then what's good for the employees inside of it. And if I don't win on two of those three pillars, I usually don't do it. I think there's a ton of insight on this, and what I love so much about the message, Liam, is we're talking about long term here because you know none of this stuff is get rich quick. None of my listeners are you know hopefully in the business of just trying to make a you know fifty to hundred grand and disappear. You know, like that, there's no real wealth in that. You're trying to build something that will last and a legacy. And so focusing on profitability, not just growth. Focusing on holding your equity because, like your friend said, you know, might not have sold for fifty five, but it was sold for twenty, and he would have been able to keep it. I think that there's just lessons because it's really sexy right now. You got Shark Tank and, and Dragon's Den, oh, yeah. and, you know, oh my God, I went and I got a deal and I got it like a bazillion dollars and, you know, but they don't, you don't realize that it's almost, you know, it's a catch 22 where, you know, like you're almost signing your life away and some, it's like your friend, he worked for 10 years to build a company and then basically sold his job and we're, you know, the whole point of being an entrepreneur is like where a lot of people retire and then that's it. Like they just stop getting that monthly check as an entrepreneur. The idea is you're building an asset. So when you sell it to retire, you get like this big lump sum, you can then play you know, yes. to play around with other projects. So to invest 10 years of his life and build something that was successful and then get half a million dollars, like, it's just, like, that's that's just, it's very frustrating. So, um, yeah, very powerful lessons. Uh, people may want to go back and re-listen to that to make sure it really sinks in. Now, Liam, I don't, I know we don't have you for hours and hours and hours. One thing I do want to talk about, because obviously it's the name of your game, it's the business you're in, uh, managing, building, managing, and monitoring, and, and, and enriching a team. Well, how can you speak uh-huh. to that? What are some of the biggest challenges you see with your clients that have? I mean, having worked with Time Doctor and all these things, can you help set the listeners' kind of expectations around team performance and give them some tips and strategies for building an effective team? Sure. Uh, so I would say the most important lesson that I've learned from our clients, and it's it's quite interesting for us because we don't discuss um, how big any of our clients are, or and we don't even discuss who our clients are if we have not had permission to, um, you know, we haven't gotten a case study from them or something like that. Correct. But uh, the we've been able to see the growth of various companies because we see their direct headcount. And I can see that there are some barriers um, to entry. So like as an example, uh, usually five employees is a really interesting sort of barrier in terms of uh, before someone goes to the next step. Then there's 10, 
uh, then there's 50, then there's 100, and then there's usually 250. And past 250, they've kind of figured everything out. And I, I can see companies go from 250 to like 10,000. Um, and the thing that they're figuring out throughout that entire process, or in, yeah, throughout that entire process from employee one to employee 250 is process design. Mm. So you need operational procedures in place to be able to run the business. And it's really boring. Uh, no one wants to do it. It <laughs> sounds like, you know, it, it sounds like doing accounting and profit and loss statements and all this kind of stuff. It's really boring, boring stuff. I've got actually, right after this, I've got to take photos of about 400 different receipts that I've been keeping for the quarter for the business that I've got. Like that is just stuff that you don't want to do. Uh, right. But it's, it's so, uh, it's so important to do. Um, because if you don't have that in place, you will not be able to scale past that particular point. I call it, um, the sacred knowledge problem. Mm. So if there is any single person in the company that has sacred knowledge, meaning that person has it and no one else does, it's a ticking time bomb because if, what if that person quits? What if that person, you fire them for some weird reason, let's say they get hit by a bus, um, you know, uh, let's say Rob and as an example, something and, and something happens to him and he ends up, you know, in a coma for three months. Well, how are we supposed to operate the business if he's the only one that has, has access to uh, the payroll data, as an example, right? right? right what are yep. the procedures around it? Um, you know, how do you access bank accounts, all this kind of stuff. So all of that stuff has to be documented. And for remote teams, it's actually, so remote teams have an advantage. You have a remote employee, you actually have a big advantage in the space, which is brick and mortar companies don't have to do this for a very long time. But remote employees have to do it right away because John is not right next to me. You know, my new employee, John, is not right next to me. So when John does something wrong, I just tell him, hey, this is how you do it right. right, right John right, is 10,000 right. miles away. So you need to document everything. You need to digitize everything. It needs to be in a transferable format. Uh, we have a wiki, as an example, at, at timedoctorandstaff.com that we use to be able to document all of our procedures. We've got hundreds of them in there. So, um, and, and actually, in ours, we have a, a, a wiki that evolves organically. Because if you, uh, for your listeners that don't know, a wiki it's like Wikipedia is the perfect example of that. But wikis are basically sort of online frameworks where you can get an original document and then you can go in and you can change that document over time. And dependent upon how many people agree with those changes, that then becomes the gold version of that particular document. So, like, go, you know, go and check out Donald Trump's Wikipedia page. And I bet you there's a huge debate going on on the back end of people that are saying, oh, that isn't true, that is true. And there's this voting process. It's very democratic uh, in the way that it works. So in our company, we have that same system in place. And about two years ago, when there was a major update, uh, the Panda update for search engine optimization, what I had done is I said, I'm going to give out a commission. Basically, I'm going to give out bounties for people that can update the documents. Hmm. So you update the document and people agree that that is the new procedure that we should go with, then you'll get 50 bucks here, 50 bucks there, that kind of thing. So I was able to update all of our documentation for probably about $1,000, $1,500. That's where awesome. We wouldn't have been able – so basically the documents are organic. They evolve with the team. 
uh, and they all evolve with changes, you know, the, the, the changes within the business model. So if you're smaller and you don't want to set up your own wiki, uh, Google Docs are fantastic. You know, set up a folder system, set up Google Docs, it's free, and you can just literally have procedures. Um, for me, the my, my personal perspective with regards to creating these documents is they shouldn't be longer than a page. If they're longer than a page, then they need to be two processes, mm. right? They need to be two two sort of orders. Uh, our mission, another sort of things that we have in the company, at least that I started, is um, a quote by Napoleon. And Napoleon said, orders shouldn't be easy to understand. They should be impossible to misunderstand. Mm. And it's a very small change. But once you have that mindset, it completely changes the way that you build out processes within the business. So as an example, I have clients that will say, oh, uh, I went out and told my employee to do X, Y, Z, and I told my, uh, my employee to uh, install WordPress on this website, and I gave him the email, uh, the password to be able to access our server, and da-da-da, and he comes back and he says, uh, what's WordPress? Right. Because you didn't actually make the orders impossible to misunderstand. You made them easy to understand, and those are, those are planets apart. So you need to be yeah. able to have a one-pager, very clear, hyperlinks are fantastic. I use hyperlinks everywhere. So as an example, I would have hyperlinked WordPress, and I would have hyperlinked it to the Wikipedia page, as an example, just to sort of say, oh, what is, what is this thing? Okay, let me click on it and find out what the heck it is. Right, right, uh, right. So it's a one-page document, usually four to five steps, and um, it's a one-page. And then also, too, I provide a video walkthrough. So mm. you can do this on... I use an application called Jing uh, that provides like little five-minute videos, screen, get, screen grab videos. Yep. You can also just upload them directly to YouTube if you have screen grab software. Uh, usually costs about 100 bucks for the screen grab software. So you can do any of those types of things. They're very easy to be able to implement, um, to be able to get your team up and running. And you need to then take those processes, bring them to the team. And if you're dealing with... Um, Southeast Asian labor, as an example, there's also a cultural bias connected to it where they will not tell you what's wrong. So you need to right. really train them differently. <laughs> and to, so I have a, uh, tell me three things you don't like about X, right? I just had a meeting actually, we're, we're just hiring a new um, sales manager in, inside of the company. And I had a sit down with the entire sales staff that interviewed this sales manager. So I interviewed her, but then I also had my sales staff hire, uh, interview her. And I asked the same question to each one, which, will, which was, tell me three things you don't like about this person and tell me three, three reasons why this person will fail at this position. Right. And that is really useful for me because yeah. then I really get a clear idea of what the heck is going on and what they like and what they don't like. Right. They won't tell you that stuff. No, they, you... they want to be yes men and they want to tell you the things they think you want to hear. But they misunderstand as the owner. We, like, we're not going to go cry in a corner about this stuff. We just like, yeah, just – yeah, just forget the labor pain. Just give us the baby, you know, like just exactly. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, it. Yeah. You need to be able to provide all that document, and you need to have that on documentation. So, if someone doesn't understand a document, then you can't make it gold. You, you know, the document can't go gold. It's got to stay in beta, and you've got to keep iterating on it until you've got it perfect. Until it is no longer easy to understand, it's impossible to misunderstand. 
So that is, you know, that's the process that I would have people start on. And it's a huge process. Like, you know, people are probably listening right now thinking, oh, yeah, Liam, I don't have 70,000 hours to be able to work out all the processes of what I do in the business. And that's the wrong way to approach it. What you should do is take, let's say, um, your Thursday afternoons and work out what are the next big things that you need to do uh, to be able to make the company more efficient. So what things do you do or do people do in your company that just take a lot of time to do? So like uh, I'll focus on SEO because it's actually something I've been working on just recently is the process to go out and get backlinks is the outreach process. So we have a piece of so we have about two or three pieces of software that that do that. And about two weeks ago, I built all the processes to be able to put those up on our wiki um, and allow. And, and now we have those processes up there so I could take you, Daryl, and I could sit you down and probably within an afternoon, you could be trained on it and working. Whereas if I didn't have those processes, it would take me yeah. two to three weeks to be able to do it. Yeah, and then your business can be taken hostage by key employees who have all this sacred knowledge and either won't relinquish it or, you know, just for whatever reasons. I actually have a client that that's been an ongoing problem, that there's a key employee and it's a mystery. How many people are exactly are on their team and what do they do? So, uh, I mean, it's not a problem anymore. We've worked on it over a couple of months and we actually have a lot of documentation. But it's just when you talk about the sacred knowledge problem, it's real. Michael Gerber says that in the E-Myth. You know, if your business is dependent on special people, it, it won't be able to scale and grow you know if your mm -hmm. business is dependent on amazing people you can't find amazing people everywhere mcdonald's grew an amazing business because they took what amazing people did and they made it so anybody could do it and that's through right. that's through operational procedures or sop so that's awesome right. that's that's huge yeah Leah, again people listening to this please you better be taking down a, a pages of notes and, and getting ready to write Liam some thank you cards because you know all a company is is a collection of people working together to achieve a common goal usually delivering a product or service to another group of people and so it's all people based it's all oriented and in this single call we've talked about not only tools to help achieve like like super crystal clear accountability of who is doing what and what are you paying people to do which your employees might hate in the beginning but the real performance are going to love it because it's going to get them recognition for how awesome they are. And then beyond that, how to build this, the, the operating procedures, how to structure it to go from one employee to 250 plus. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. What about hire? Well, no, I guess you already talked about it. I mean, I loved even just the three things you dislike and three reasons why they'll fail. I love that because it just cuts through like the meeting. It just, it just cuts. It's Occam's razor. Like, just like, what do I need to know to look out for this person? And you know, like what's the lesser of, of all these evils? Because with anybody, there's going to be a pro and a con everybody, right? No one's going to be perfect ever. So, mm -hmm. um, better know that up front. Yeah. Very, very awesome. Yeah. Um, what do you think has been one of the biggest challenges for you in your, in your business career overall? Oh, boy. I know my biggest challenge right now is to find people that are really good. Uh, and, and, well, that's probably – that's that's a cop-out. Really good is a, is a horrible term to use. Uh, I need to find people that are experts at things um, that can take us to the next level. So – um, like we're, we're hiring a sales, another sales manager right now. And these people, th this person should be able to sell circles around me. Right. Right. And it's like, that is something that a lot of people will find uncomfortable. Yep. Um, it, it, especially hiring, like the last person that we hired, this last sales manager that we hired, 
he was uh, 60 Hmm. and I'm 30 and I'm 34. Mm-hmm. Um, hiring somebody like that is, is an interesting exchange because, you know, he could, he could definitely be my father. Uh, and it, it's, it's, um, th- that's, that's been interesting. Trying to find top performers is really interesting. I'm very interested in how HR works at this point, like recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, it is by far the most important thing to be able to get us to the next level. Mm. It's, it's literally just the engine of hiring different employees. We have 60 employees and we have two co-founders. My, uh, my, my, uh, my co-founder is the CEO, Rob. I'm the CMO. We now, if, if I doubled the amount of hours that I was working, Right. If I switch from eight hours a day to 16 hours a day, I might move. I might increase the business's profits by five, 10 percent at max. Right. There's very little that I can do now to be able to move it forward outside of leadership. So that's what I have to focus on now. And there is no I cannot um, I just don't the skill sets that I originally built the business on, which was going out, working on a particular problem, you know, writing a blog post, getting it posted, you know, getting people to link to it, all that kind of stuff. It has to be built through people. It can't be built through one individual. So that's probably the biggest thing right now is trying to find those people and trying to make them successful. Uh, The second thing would probably be, and it's probably a close second, is really looking at data and understanding how data is going to inform the future of the business. If you can't project your next, I would say, three quarters, then you don't have a business. It, you, you like, well, you have a business, but you don't have a, you have no idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> like I know very clearly within about three to four percentage points, what quarter two is going to look like. Um, what my next quarter is going to look like. So that gives me a good perspective of where I'm currently at. And it also shows me, hey, we're not doing what we need to do right now. Like we're not hitting the goals that we should be hitting. What the hell is going on? How can we solve this and how can we work on it? It's not just something that will take a week to solve. It will take three to four months to to actually solve for the next quarter. Um, So it's one of those things that things aren't moving as quickly as they were in the earlier days of the business. And that is frustrating, but also required and also kind of exciting too, because we're dealing with bigger problems where like, you know, you talked about the the AI thing. We just made a major investment into that. And it's been, it's so cool to just do stuff that no one has done before. Um, That's, that's really cool and, and empowering, but at the same time, I'm not the one that is actually doing it. And a part of that makes me a little sad. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But it's, again, you're still a part of it and you're enabling it. And so I get what you mean by it's just cool and exciting and empowering. Um, And that's kind of it now. I guess you've moved. And this is also almost like an evolution. Like you've moved from getting the results yourself through getting the results through others, which allows you to have much greater impact on the world. I mean, that's partially why, at least for me, why I enjoy this podcast. I realize with my own business and maybe I'm on a similar path, a different but similar in the sense of with my own business, I realized I needed a few hundred customers to be able to stay afloat. And I was getting all these testimonials back and it was really empowering for me to get that. But I realized by helping other business owners, I could effectively 
have an exponential impact because each business owner would need a few hundred to a few thousand customers for them to stay afloat. And so it's almost like that, trying to accomplish your goals through others. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say now. Like it's slower to encourage change because you've got like a big ship and you've got people to mobilize and you've got pushback and opinions and, you know, and, and just cultural th- uh, hurdles to overcome, right? So that's like yeah. you said, it's like three to four months to make a change, but it's a much more lasting and enduring and, and longer term change uh, or results because of your enabling through other people. So I really, yeah, I, yeah, I can really, I can at least speak to that. I'm, I'm in a different world. I would be, I'm envious. I want a software product because I just, the scale and the, and the longevity of it. Um, well, yeah, but, I can yeah. speak to that for a second because I think that's another thing that a lot of your readers would probably love sure. is SaaS is the best, greatest, best business model on the face of the planet. <laughs> it is like, so, and what I mean by that is software as a service. Uh, so it means making software that you don't sell completely to a customer. So I don't sell like a video game is not SaaS. You sell the right. video game for 80 bucks and that's it. Software as a service is I'm not software as a service is World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Uh, you know, your, your readers probably know what World of Warcraft is. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. an <laughs> online world where you pay. I don't know what it is. 10 or 15 bucks a month. Uh, look at World of Warcraft's numbers. They blow any individual video game out of the water. Yeah, they are yeah. infinitely more successful. And the reason being is because they're saying, listen, if we're going to have an active dev team that's going to continually work on this world and work on this game and everything, and, and you're going to get, con- you're continuously going to get cool and awesome stuff every single month. And not only that, you don't have to pay us all up front. You just have to pay us in installments. Little tiny installments, but the installments never end because we're continuously updating the product for you. It is awesome. It's like you can set your watch to it. It's um, right. Well, it's it's recurring revenue. It's a subscription model, which is so powerful. So powerful. Yeah, you shut down. Like if we shut down business today, meaning we no longer accepted any new customers, it would take probably almost a decade before you know the 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 customers would stop using the software. Maybe that's a little bit of an overestimation, but definitely five years because um, the technology stack might update and, and things might change. But it's just one of those things that like I, I, for anybody that's interested in getting into that kind of stuff and if you have any type of development background whatsoever, um, I think that SaaS is really, and it's really come into its own recently. We've seen it kind of be on the outer edges of like, what a software company does, uh, how it, you know, it, it hasn't been the big, you know, the big thing. And because uh, companies like Oracle and Cisco and um, Nortel and all these huge multi-billion dollar megacorps didn't do business that way because their business model didn't, didn't work in that method. But now SaaS is very quickly taking over that particular business model. Um, basically the, the business model of selling software. Um, on a massive scale and it's cheaper for the customer. Um, it's better for the customer. It's, and, and for me, like to be able to run the business that we are running now through a non SaaS model, it would have cost us $10 million to start. And it probably, and the, you know, time doctors cost us probably a hundred grand to start in terms of investment capital. So it's a complete, like, you can now get in for such a smaller amount of money than right. you could before. Right, so right. it's just so exciting what's happening because like you're seeing all these small companies that are building 10, 
hundred million billion dollar businesses. Um, you know, when 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 we had chatted Daryl back in Canada, and uh, when you came up, there were, uh, you know, at that event, we we just did a survey actually because I got back from another Fresh Founders meeting, and uh, out of a hundred members, twenty five percent do more than ten million dollars a year, which is and they're awesome. all doing that, right? Which it's like awesome. that's, yeah. that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And yeah. it's just like and it's like teams, little teams. It's teams of. 30 to 40 people that have a $10 million, 20, 30, $40 million business. Um, so that's so exciting. And I know that it's, you know, if you're just, if you haven't built a SaaS company right now, it's probably a far way off. But um, the other thing is SaaS works on compound interest. Same concept as compound interest. I don't know why they don't teach compound interest in school. They should. Every year, like, you know, let's say you do $100,000 on year one in your SaaS business. Year two, you're going to do 250000 Year three, you're going to do 500000 Year four, you're going to do a million. And by year five, you're doing two, three million, and it just keeps leveling like that. Um, so, yeah, it takes a long time to work on, but in five years, you could easily have a $10 million a year business yeah. as opposed to doing consulting or, you know, individual transactional work where it's a lot less scalable. Right, you constantly have to fight for that new business to come in the door, uh, and you have to provide labor. I, I, I work very hard, <laughs> but um, I could probably not work in the company at all and hire someone out to do this job, and we'd probably be okay um, in, in terms of the growth rate because right. of just the way that the engine has worked. Right, right. the engine is starting now, and now since we have cash to be able to solve problems, which is, you know, coming from a bootstrapped entrepreneurial background, it's amazing. <laughs> you can just like solve a problem with like money uh, as what? opposed to solving it with like Sweat equity, worry. yeah, and crying. Tears, just run everything on tears. Um, it, it's, it's so empowering to be able to do that. But more importantly, it's just um, – I could, we can make a lot more mistakes yeah. now. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And we, so that's, I think it's so important to be able to hit that with, you know, a, a lot of your listeners, because, um, if you've thought about ever doing something like that, like if you've never done it before, I would highly suggest you just start working for a SaaS company. Mm-hmm. Just find out, can I do customer support? Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Boom. Get in, try it, uh, see what's going on and then go to something like, um, there's a whole bunch of these 72 hour, um, uh, like build a startup in 72 hour camps. Um, the biggest one is startup weekend and there's startup weekends in almost every major city. You just get together and it's usually one hacker, one designer and one business guy. And they get together over a weekend and they build an MVP of a startup. Those are awesome. Go and take those. Mm. Go work five, right? Like get that feeling out, and then you're just after that, something will come out. Right, um, right, just basically right. find a need and try to fill it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's very powerful. So to wrap this up, what do you feel are some of the habits that have really helped you on your path to success? Uh, discipline in terms of putting the work in every single day. Um, I'm on minute 59 of podcast with Daryl. I know that because I'm measuring all of my data on time doctor. Obviously. <laughs> and, um, I was, and during this call, I spent about a third of my time on Gmail, a third of my time on Skype and a third of my time on chart mobile. So I know all of the, like I, I know 
what happened during this call. And I, I, I also know how distracted I was throughout this call and what I was currently doing. So that's really important is figuring out, okay, if you've decided to be able to build a business, uh, let's say you have a day job or something like that, go home, Time Doctor, you know, it's it's five bucks to use it for yourself. It's dirt cheap if you're going to use it to, to measure your own productivity. Go home at 6 p.m., go from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. and don't watch TV and do that for a year. You'll make you'll make money, guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, you just go home and do that. Um, and once you're generating, generating $5,000 a month doing that, then quit your job and then do it and then that'll be your job, right? It's like, it's very simple, but it's, it's very simple to say, but it's so hard for people to do because they don't require the discipline. They don't have the discipline to be able to execute on that particular strategy. Right. So that's probably the biggest thing is discipline with regards to doing the job. Right. Um, doing secondarily, the work. Yeah. Doing the work. And then secondarily to that is I think for me personally, innovation has been one of the biggest, um, biggest needs for me or biggest advantages for me but that is because of my personality type um i know what i'm good at and i know what i'm not good at so like you had mentioned that you're using trello right to integrate into time doctor the whole platform the whole concept of integrating project management systems into time doctor um and bringing those systems into time doctor that's one of those things that i came up with when we were just talking about okay well like task management, how does it work? Do we want to compete against them? Do we not want to compete against them? Let's get my head into like every single one of those integrations. We have 30 plus. I've spent weeks, you know, studying it, interacting with it, trying to figure out what the real, what that customer is in that particular integration. All those things are really important. So for me, it was studying my environment and then being able to innovate on that particular market. So there's a fantastic book that everyone should read if you're thinking about getting into this stuff, which is called Peter. Uh, sorry, it's a book by Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel built PayPal, uh, and he also built um, actually one of the first artificial intelligences for the CIA, uh, and he made crap loads of money off of it. It is called Zero to One. So the book talks about Peter Thiel's investment philosophy and his tech start and, and when he builds a company, what his philosophy is on building a company. So he looks for monopolies. That's all he looks for. Hmm. So he says, I don't want, I want to go into an industry that I'll make a billion dollars at and I can lock up the entire industry so that no one else can come in. And I don't want any competitors in there before I get in. That's the best type of industry to enter. Um, the second best industry that you can enter is an industry in which there are competitors, but your solution is either exponentially cheaper or exponentially better than all of the competitors. So I had a, I had a discussion with the founder of Freshdesk, which is one of our integration partners. And Freshdesk does ticketing software, okay? We use Freshdesk in our business, we love it. and we had moved from Zendesk, which is the other major competitor in the space. And basically we said, we moved from Zendesk to Freshdesk because you guys provided all the capability that we had on Freshdesk, or sorry, on Zendesk, but you guys were willing to move, move all of our data over and it was gonna cost us half the amount. So that's why we moved. And then, and I said, it wasn't because your app was any better. Right. And he kind of got pretty defensive and he said, well, what do you mean the app isn't better? We have this feature, we have that feature, all this kind of stuff. 
<laughs> and then I said, you know what's, what would be better is if you had an artificial intelligence that was just able to answer all of the tickets as good as a human being so that we wouldn't have to have 12 customer service reps right. in time dock. That would be exponentially better. That's exponentially better, right? So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about exponentially better. Don't just add an extra, you know, thing to this app that there are already 10 other versions of it that exist. Yep. You, will, you, will, you won't lose, but you certainly won't win. And what I mean by winning is you're going to build a company that, you know, does $100 million a year, as an example. And more importantly, doesn't have any competitors. Um, Google owns 85% of all search traffic on the Internet. They have a monopoly over that entire group. Now, and AdWords does $40 billion a year, right? Their, their AdSense, their, their AdWords engine, yep. $40 billion a year. Yep. Every other program inside of Google, they take a loss on, yep. except for that. Yep. So like, because they have a monopoly, no one is going to beat them. Everyone has tried, no one can beat them. Um, so as long as you have that, you're immortal. And so that's what I would, you know, the, Take a look at that book if you're ever if you're interested in getting into like large scale tech plays. I've it's probably been the best read in the last year for me by far. Um, so you know discipline, innovation, and that's pretty much about it. it. You know it's just like being in it really, and I guess passion for what you're doing. If you don't really like what you're doing, don't do it. Mm, 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 mm. Love that. Great, great, great words. Actually, I just bought the book. It's on its way for me to pick up and read when I get back to Canada. Uh, for all the listeners here, I really think that there's value in, I mean, even just at the five bucks a month. I, Liam, you're my friend, so I'm just going to plug it anyways. Like, just to just to analyze, do you really work the hours that you think you will work? We're not productive. We're not robots. We're not productive all day long. I think it would be very insightful to be able to just sign up and just watch yourself and just, you know. I, Liam, is, I, what happens to the data? You, you counting my hours on Pornhub or something or what? Like, what's <laughs> No, uh, it's actually encrypted on your end, so you're you're fine on that side. Right, um, so you're, just you're get on the dock, people. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so just get on the dock, and for your own private knowledge, just just honestly take a real assessment of yourself. Time management is one of the most critical skills that separates people who are successful from unsuccessful. When you see, there's something we always said. I've trained with world champions and Olympic champions. We always say, like, when somebody wins, it's not because they're better; it's because they've optimized their time and their life, and they were all already world champion they were already the gold medalist it just took that event for the world to find out and so where mm. you are right now is a good it's a good demonstration of where you will be in four or five years from now if you just take an uh, uh, inventory of how you spend your time and be real with yourself so anyways i just encourage everyone to maybe check out time doctor um as well as this book that you mentioned uh zero to zero one. to one yeah yeah okay. by peter teal and, um, and again, if you have an enterprise solution, I highly recommend you check out staff.com. There's some cool AI things coming down the pipeline. And, of course, Liam's pretty awesome himself. Liam, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? You've been so forthcoming and just extremely helpful in this call. Uh, what is the funnest thing to do in the Philippines? Okay. What's what the fun- yeah, so what's the funnest thing to do in the Philippines? Go and download an app called Grab Helicopter. <laughs> and uh, go take a helicopter ride. It's 80 bucks to take a helicopter anywhere in Manila. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, all right. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that right yeah. now, actually. So, awesome. Right. Very cool. 
Liam, thank All you right. so much for your time, my friend. Again, I know you have a team of people and 101 other things you could be doing. Uh, I definitely think this call is going to change lives. So just thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you for being a friend. And uh, thank you for creating these cool tools because I know I'm going to benefit from them. Great. Thanks a lot. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.